Happy Father's Day. Uh, may God bless all the fathers and father figures and all the men of God in our church congregation. And talking about the Father's Day pictures, photos that we shared, those are not just the pictures of the fathers that we wanted to show. Those are the pictures that have been submitted to us. So we wanted to show all the fathers what those were that we have received. So um, maybe next time we can have more dads that can share pictures. Which father in the Bible would you like to have as your own father? There are many dads in the Bible. And which one do you think you would pick as your dad if you have a choice? There is Adam, there is Seth, and there is Enoch, and there is uh, Moses, there is um, David, there is Samuel, there is Elijah. There are so many different people as, as great men of God, or like Peter, or um, Paul, so many different people. But who would you choose as your own dad? I thought about that, and I'd like to talk about some dads uh, today. And my sermon title today is Heart of the Father. And the first one that I thought about was Eli. Eli was a great priest. He raised Samuel to be a great prophet of God. But was he a good dad? Not so much. He was maybe too generous. It says, according to 1 Samuel 3.13, it says, His sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. So because he did not rebuke them, he was too nice to them. His sons became spoiled. And that's, that's where he failed. What about Samuel, the great prophet? One of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Samuel was a great prophet. But what about, was he a good father? No. Uh, here, uh, 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 6, basically he, he made the same mistakes. His sons did not walk in his, their father's way. And they were after dishonest gain, and they took bribes, and they perverted justice. So he failed as a father, even though he was a great prophet. What about Manasseh and Ahaz? They were the kings of Judah. Do you think you would have them as your father? No, why not? They, <laughs> if you read their story in 2 Kings 21 and 2 Kings 16, they offered their children to the idols as sacrifice. <laughs> would you like that <laughs> as, as your, your father? <laughs> That would be terrible, right? Like, am I going to be the next sacrifice? No. <laughs> what about Job? I think Job was a great dad. He, he kept his communication line open with his children, and he knew what his children were doing. But not only that, he, he offered prayers and sacrifice for his children, every single one of his ten children, every day, so that they would not sin. And if they have made mistakes, they'll be forgiven. That's what he did. So prayer for them. What about David? Was David a good king? Yes, he was a great king. God loved him, but was he a good dad? <laughs> not really. How do we know? Okay, let's look at some examples. David, his uh, first son, Amnon, was a rapist. His second son, Absalom, Revolted against his father's throne, and he stole his father's wives publicly. 
And his fourth son, Adonijah, tried to take Solomon, his brother's throne, against God's will. God has said, okay, Solomon will be my king. And Adonijah said, no, God, I think you're wrong. I'm going to take over. And he tried to do that, and he got killed. His seventh son, Solomon, he was a great king to start with. He was very humble. He asked for God for wisdom. He started as a good king, but he loved women too much. And he had too many wives. And he fell into idolatry. Uh, he just, his country started to go down ever, ever since then. And not only that, he, um, he collected horses against God's command. I mean, what's wrong with collecting, uh, with, I mean, with collecting horses? Because God said, if you have too many horses, then you will trust those horses instead of trusting me. And that's where he fell. So all those great men of God um, have fallen fallen short to be a good dad. But I want to talk about David, um, even though he may not be the best father, uh, but there is something to learn from, from his story. So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. It says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, and one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and he, it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for his own, prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. We know the story of what had happened here. This is a really famous story. And here, what I want to point out is that David has sinned. Like, he, his sins were so deadly, so severe, you can't even find a comparison in the Bible. He committed murder and he committed adultery and he did it he planned it he used his position that god has given as a king as an anointed king of over the land of israel and he abused it to to take advantage of what he could have and it's not that he didn't have any wives he had many wives but he wanted that one and the story that I want to point out, the point that I want to bring out from the story is that when he sins, he knows what he had done. And God sends Nathan, and Nathan goes risking his life because David could have said, you know what, who are you to tell me that? Go ahead and kill him. He could have been killed. But Nathan is not afraid to go and preach the gospel message or the message that God has given him to King David, the greatest and most powerful man of the nation at that time. And he goes and says, you are the man. And David, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't argue with him. He repents. And what I'm puzzled here is this. David, a great sinner here, 
he pronounces judgment upon himself. The David, the judge, is pronouncing the David the, upon the David, the transgressor. So he cannot even escape. He cannot even say, uh, you know what, give me one time. Let me go ahead and buy a good lawyer and let me try to get out of this situation. He can't even do that because he pronounced judgment upon himself. He must die. He needs to pay that four times over. That is the law. But as soon as Nathan says, you are that man, David breaks down on the floor and he, he says, I have sinned. And you know what? <laughs> God here, instead of saying, you know what? You are a great man. You deserve to die. You need to go through some punishment. Let me punish you. You need to go through some pain. He doesn't do that. He straight away says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are taken away. You are not going to die. Come on. I mean, God and Nathan had planned this all together. Nathan, when you go, you need to make the story in a fitting way so that it's perfectly lined out. So when you read the story, it needs to be like, uh, it needs to be read or told in a way that it would, it would uh, uh, provoke his thought. It would, it, would, uh, uh, it would cause him to get angry, but knowing that it's not him. You need to say it in a way that he's fooled so that he will get trapped. And Nathan says, okay, okay, I need to practice over. So he's practicing. He look, he's looking at the mirror and he's practicing. You are the man. He practices. He goes in. He says it in a perfect way. And Nathan is like, okay, now it's time. You are going down, my brother. You are dead. That's what Nathan is ready to say. But God tells him, no, Nathan, no, he's not going to die. Nathan is like, God, I'm ready to just say that punishment, say that judgment right now. And, and God tells, tells him, like, no, tell him you're not going to die. Nathan's like, ah, oh, man. And he said, David, you're not going to die. God, I'm not happy with you. And he walks away. <laughs> I'm, I'm just exaggerating. But basically, if you look at the story of how God tells David to confess, but as soon as he confesses, God says, you are not going to die. I mean, how fast has the forgiveness come. When he's, I mean, despite of his great sin that he has committed, his forgiveness came as soon as he confessed. That's what we can learn. As when we repent, God forgives. His, his willingness to forgive comes as soon as the sinner repents. And that's something that we need to learn. When we confess our sin, God forgives. But here is the catch. Here is the catch. If we plan to sin and ask for forgiveness, plan to sin again and ask for forgiveness, go back and forth, back and forth, guess what? That's not going to work too well. I want to read from a state Bible commentary on this verse, 2 Samuel 12, 4. It says, and it's on the, I would like to share the quote with you. It says, men generally sin because they love to. This makes it difficult for them to be sorry for a sin they deliberately planned and purposely executed. Only when they are willing to make a complete change in their attitude and conduct and by the help of God to root out the evil in their nature that caused their transgression 
will they be able to find repentance? Any man interested only in receiving forgiveness for the past transgression while planning to repeat his sin is insincere and seeks forgiveness in vain. So, as long as we repent to God in sincerity, God forgives us. How many times? Seven times? Seven times 70 times. He's meaning endlessly. If we ask for forgiveness, God is going to forgive us every time we go to God. Immediately, He forgives us, like, like in the story of David. But if we plan to do that over and over again, and if we deliberately do that, then it may be more difficult because our hearts are not sincere. Not that God is not willing to forgive us because our, our hearts are not sincere. Verse 14 of the same chapter, it says, The child that is born unto thee shall surely die. Okay. Parents, let me ask you a question. When your children are sick, uh, is it how do you feel when your children are sick and you are not sick? How do you feel? Do you feel like, oh, well, I'm glad I'm not the one who's sick. My child has a fever or coughing or going through pain or going through a surgery, but I'm not the one who is sick, so I'm okay. Is that how you feel? No. You can ask any parent. Any parent will agree with me. Agree with me. If I can replace myself with my sick child, and if I can sick instead of my child, I would gladly do that. Any parent? Yeah, we would all do that. I would do the same. Um, so, if you're not a dad or mom, if you don't understand that, like, wait until you become a dad yourself, and you would understand what I'm saying. Exactly. Uh, but basically, when, when Nathan came and said, no, David, you're not going to die, but your child is going to die, guess what David went through in his mind? Like, do you think he said, okay, I'm not going to die. Okay, my child, I have many sons, and I can give birth to many other children, so it's okay. Do you think that's what David had thought? No. I'm sure he agonized over more than, than rather him dying himself. Right? So, why did God allow this child, this nameless, like, newborn child? Like, what did this child do wrong? He has done nothing wrong. He's probably maybe a week old, maybe a month old. He doesn't know anything. He hasn't done anything wrong. But this child died or uh, punished because of David's sin. Like, that's not fair, you know? But if you think about this, again, Estee Baba commentary shares this, uh, share the quote. Uh, I'd like to share the quote here. David had given the judgment that, <clears throat> had given the judgment that the man that had done this thing shall surely die. By his own sentence, David was the one who should die. But instead, God decreed that the child of his sin should die. To David, the death of the child would be a far greater punishment than his own death. As a result of the bitter experience he would pass through, David would be brought to a full measure of repentance and conversion. So why did God allow this child to die instead of David dying? Because David could have, I mean... God could have easily had David pay for the price and he die and just 
continue on with is God's kingdom. He, I mean, his, his, his nation. God could have done that. But God allowed this poor child to die so that what? David could repent. And he will go through this pain of seeing his child dying and repent. I mean, if you think about God's heart, this just magnificent and his plan, this is just beyond our human thought. If any dad or any mom, if your child is suffering because of your own mistake, let's say uh, you're driving and then something happened and then you, your family got into a car accident and your children are suffering, like broken bones or something, in the hospital for, for some time. As a parent, you are not really, really responsible. It's not you, are, you didn't plan to do this, but it happened that way. As a parent, is your heart broken? Yes. Seeing your children suffering, even though it's not your own fault, you'll still be suffering seeing your, parent, your, your children going through this pain. But let's say if it is your fault that your children are suffering, you have done something wrong and your children are suffering, how would you feel? You feel terrible. You feel like, you know what, I want to die. I mean, this is just so bad. That's what David went through. Just think about this. So Bible says he's been fasting and, and praying for a week on the floor without eating, just praying, thinking that God may just change the situation. May, he may save this child. He prays. But God allows this child to die so David could come to repentance and conversion. David is a man after God's own heart. He's, he's a great man. He, God loves him. And he, his, God's spirit was upon him. And when he plays the music, Saul, who had the evil spirit upon him, like evil spirit departed him because David, his playing was so inspirational. That's the kind of man we are talking about. The guy who went out and fought Goliath when he was only like 17, 16. He was a great man of God. His, his heart was so in tune with God. But now what, what is he doing? He's doing some filthy things, so terrible that God had to bring judgment upon him and his punishment at, in his house to his children, his descendants. And what brought him back is this instance. Death of this child brought him back, meaning his reconversion experience came from this because God allowed this child to die, David experienced this painful experience because of what I've done. My child, innocent child, died. Therefore, I need to repent. I should stop doing this. Think about this. Had this child not died, do you think David might have come back and not had done something like this again? We don't know. But it's possible that Second, second Bathsheba could have come. Second Uriah would have come had the child not died. God, knowing what is best, he allowed this child to die. This innocent child die so David could come to repentance. This is just so deep, if you think about it. So deep. But you know what? This doesn't end here. Now, Patriarchs and Prophet, page 722, paragraph 2, says, 
and it's on the screen. The sentence of the death, of death was transferred from David to the child of his sin. Thus, the king was given opportunity to repent, while to him the suffering of death of the child as a part of his punishment was far more bitter than his own death could have, have been. So the sin has been transferred from David to the child so that David was given a chance to repent, right, as we talked about. And the punishment was a lot more, far more difficult, far harder, far bitter for David to go through. Imagine his life. All his life, he is thinking about his dead child that he killed, basically. He, he killed. So he's thinking about that. <clears throat> so the first reason why this child died, or why God allowed this child to die, is because of the punishment so that David would go through this pain and he could repent. And the second reason is this. <clears throat> because of David has sinned, and his sins are just so, so grave, so terrible, so deadly, he's supposed to die. But the sin of his, his the, the guilt of his sin has been transferred to his son so that his son died instead of his, his guilty dad. Does it ring a bell? His innocent son, David's innocent son, died so that the the sinful sinner can be saved. Who is this son of David? Revelation 5, 5 says that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So this child that died, <clears throat> this newborn child that died, represents another son of David that will come and eventually die in place of David and you and me, so that David can live. It's just amazing how this can happen. But that is, my friend, another reason why God allowed this child to die. But you know, think about it. So when this child was pronounced to be, to, be, to be dead. When Nathan came and said, okay, David, you repented. God accepted your repentance. You are not going to die. And David's like, okay, thank God. I'm not going to die. But Nathan goes on to say, but your child is going to die. And David says, his heart fell. His heart dropped like, no. And he said, please, rather let me die than this child die. And Nathan said, he's going to die. And David straight into goes into his, his prayer closet and he prays. He says he was, he was in his sackcloth and he was praying and fasting for seven days on the floor for seven days. And his men came and said, like, King, please, please stand up. Eat some food. And, and please do something. And David says, no, 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 no. I'm going to pray. And he prays for seven days. David was not a great dad, as we talked about. He's not the best dad. His sons were just... A lot of his sons were just terrible. They, they just like bad. But one thing that we can learn from David is this. When he was in trouble, when he sinned, what did he do? 
Did he have power to, to, to overpower Nathan and get out of the trouble? Yes, he did. But he, straightforward, comes forward and says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he repents. Before this guy, I mean, yes, man of God, the prophet, but he has power. He's king. But he says, you know what? I have sinned. And he repents. Second thing that we can learn from David is that he prays for his son. And he prays knowing God's judgment upon this child. He is going to die. And David still goes ahead and he prays. For how long? Until the child dies without eating. If you think about this, if you think about it, this, this is what he's doing. He's praying to change God's judgment. Are you getting this? He's praying to change God's heart. Does God, does God change his heart? Is God ever changing? Bible says he's not changing. He doesn't change. He doesn't have a shadow. He doesn't change. But has God ever changed for people praying for him to change his heart? Yes, there are a few times that God has changed because someone prayed so earnestly. What's the story? So, in the story of um, Exodus chapter 32, <clears throat> God is so angry. Exodus 32 verses 9 through 14. After, after, <laughs> after his people came up, after his people made the idol, worshipped the, 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 the golden calf, and Moses got so angry, and he broke the Ten Commandments. And, and after his people have, have, this, uh, have, have uh, committed so many different sins, at the end of so many different times, and God says, you know what? I'm going to destroy these people. This is it. I'm going to stop them, and I'm going to destroy them all. I'm going to start a new generation f- through you. And Moses says, God, please no. Please no. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you do that, all the nations here will mock your name. Please erase my name from the, the book of life, but please change your heart. And God said, okay, Moses, I, okay, I, I'm going to change my heart. I'm going to listen to your advice. He did that. Jonah 3, 4 to 10. And God said, I'm going to destroy Nineveh in 40 days. I'm going to destroy everything. And Jonah says, uh, I don't know if I want to go and do this. <laughs> I know, God, you're going to change your heart. <laughs> but he goes and he preaches. I mean, the greatest evangelist ever. The whole city, from king to the, to the, to the poorest man. Everyone in the city changes their heart. They repent. And Jonah is not happy. He's the only one who is not happy. <laughs> and he goes <laughs> and sits there. He's like, Okay, let me see if the fire will come down and destroy the city or not. Destroy everyone. I don't care. Destroy. I'm just going to watch the fireworks here. That's what he's doing. And, and God changes his heart. Because these people prayed. My people that I wanted to destroy them, but they prayed that they repented. How can I destroy them? So God, a couple times in the story of the Bible, the history of the Bible, he changed his heart. And here, David is praying so that God may change his heart and save his son's life. But God does not change his heart this time. But David 
prays to change God's heart. Even though that didn't happen, God, knowing, David knowing the story, his story, he prays just in case God may change his heart and save my child's life and kill me instead. So that's that are willing to pray to change God's heart. That is what dads need to do. That is the responsibility of the dads. Dad's job is not to straight up say, you know what, I said so, you do it. Or because I'm dad, you listen to me. That's not what dads are supposed to do. Well, dads are supposed to teach children obedience and, and rules and, and set up some, some authority, yes, definitely. But the dad's job is to pray for their children. To the point to change God's heart. God says, you know what? Your children are so evil, they'll have to be destroyed. And the father says, Heavenly Father, no, please don't change your heart and save my children. That is the job of the dads, my friends. And I pray that we will learn that from David. Even though David is not the greatest dad, we will learn that from David and we will pray for our children so that God may change his heart and save our children. And you know what? When David was going through that time, and David, seeing his child dying, and he prays on his knees, fasting for seven days, his heart is broken. And he's going through more pain than him dying himself. Many people think, Jesus of the New Testament is loving. He's so caring. He loves God's people. He comes and he heals and he listens to people and he's caring. He's touching them and speaking to them and and sympathizing with them. But the God of the Old Testament, God the Father of the Old Testament, he's angry, he's jealous, he's destroying, destructive, he's punishing people, he's bringing fire from, from heaven and burning, consuming people. He's a mean God, and the, the New Testament Jesus is a loving God. So New Testament Jesus is like the mother figure, and the Old Testament God is like the angry father figure. Is that true? When Jesus died on the cross, what was God the Father doing? Was he there? He was there, but was Jesus feeling God's presence there? No. Bible says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. When Jesus said that, what did that mean? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God abandoned Jesus. God abandoned his, his son, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is no longer his son. He is sin. Jesus became sin. And God the Father, who is innocent, could not be with the sin that is bearing the sins of this world and dying. That's why he had to depart himself, separate himself from Jesus. That's why there was a cloud of, of darkness. And that's why Jesus could not feel God's presence, and he felt the separation from God. God could not be with Jesus. We may think, you know what? Jesus was dying here, and he's dying. He's, he's nailed. He's bleeding. He's suffering. He's thirsty. He's in pain. And Jesus up in heaven, in his throne, he's on his couch. like, oh. You're dying. Okay. You'll go through this. You'll be fine. And I'm just going to eat my, my, uh, uh, my pina colada here. I'm going to enjoy my, my angelic choir here. I'm just going to have a great time here. You come back when you're done with your, with your mission. No. 
God the Father is not the angry Father. God the Father, rather, what do you think when Jesus is dying on the cross? In his Father's heart, he would have thought, if only I can replace him and I will die on the cross and save Jesus, my son, I will do that. You know, Jesus and God the Father, I'm not trying to separate the Trinity here, but if you think about it, they are one in their heart. And God the Father would have gone through a more difficult time or the same pain, if not more, than what Jesus went through. So the God the Father of the Old Testament is the same Father of, or same God of the New Testament, Jesus. We cannot be mistaken here. So my prayer for all my dad, all the dads of our congregation, of our church today, is that we need to think about David. And even though we are not perfect, we are not perfect dads, we need to pray to change God's heart. We need to pray for our children. That's what we need to do. And when David's nameless son, who was sacrificed, and David is forgiven, we need to think about that, and we need to pray for forgiveness as that. If we have made mistakes raising our children, we need to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness to our children, to our God. We need to do that as, as dads. And when you think about our Heavenly Father, who gave greater love in the package of Jesus when he died on the cross, when you think about our God the Father, and we need to pray like David, the sinner, the Father, and remember God the Father and his love. And on this Father's Day weekend, on this Father's Day Sabbath, I would like to appreciate all the dads for demonstrating their godly love to all our children. And I would like to challenge all the dads to have the heart of David and pray for our children to change the heart of God so that our children can be saved. How many of the dads would like to have this heart of the father, heart of David? May God bless all our dads to have heart of David and pray. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story of David and how he is a terrible dad in one sense, but he is a great dad because he's praying for his children. Lord, how you have given uh, forgiveness to a sinner. Lord, we are asking for forgiveness of our sins, of coming short of becoming a good dad. Lord, please forgive all our dads in our church. And Lord, we pray that you please continue to bless us to be praying dads, to change God's heart, to cling to God's heart, to save our children. Lord, we pray that you please bless all our children. Please bless all our dads, Lord. And Lord, as we go through this time of Father's Day weekend, I pray that you please bless all our families, all our dads, father figures, or the men, all the men of our church, so that we will be great men of God, great fathers and father figures of God. Thank you so much for forgiving us and saving our lives. And help us to understand the father's heart, how it might have been broken when you see your children perishing and you have given your life to save us, help us to have the same heart of Father. Thank you so much, Lord, for being our Father and giving your life to save us.
This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise team, please come on up.